this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. It's the eve of World Mental Health Day. I'm sitting here in the room by myself, recording, thinking about my mental health, and thinking about the events of today. The biggest thing that happened to me today was actually something extremely positive. It was a reminder to keep speaking up. A number of months ago, back before the pandemic started, I was at a meeting I was at a very important meeting with some very important people with a healthcare organization that I volunteer with. And at this meeting, there were some people that were in leadership that were not paying attention. And I ever so, I guess not politely because I did it in front of everybody in a public comment right before they went into closed session. But I let them know in front of this room full of people with like elected officials and everyone, how disrespectful that I felt it was that they weren't paying attention when other people were talking, that we were all sitting on the side, taking notes, the people that had been assigned to come to this meeting and we were volunteering our time and we were there taking notes and paying attention. And why weren't they, why weren't they offering us the same respect that we were giving them? It was a really interesting three minutes. I don't remember entirely what I said, but I do remember it was very quiet in the room as I was talking. And the phone call I got today was because I've been speaking up, because I've been speaking up about mental health access and healthcare access in particular for people who are trying to survive homelessness. I've been asked to engage at a deeper level on a new a new advisory committee that's being formed specifically about equity and in particular with mental health. Isn't that fascinating? Happy World Mental Health Day. I'm Scott Clapson. Welcome to Real Good Stuff. What that tells me is I need to keep speaking up. My whole life, people have tried to silence me. I've been silenced around so many different aspects of activism, so many different aspects of myself. That's how Real Good Stuff was actually born. Real Good Stuff was born out of, I wanted to podcast again. I wasn't entirely sure about what, but I knew it was going to be about homelessness because I'm an anthropologist. I'm a I'm an applied anthropologist. I wasn't supposed to be unhoused this long. I have so much privilege. Are you kidding? I should have been in housing a long time ago. The system is functioning exactly the way it was designed. It's an oppressive system that is provider-centric. And I've had multiple conversations over the last couple of weeks with people who are providers and peers within the system who have confirmed this for me. I know that it's true because I continue to encounter it. 
I continue to encounter providers and performative allies and narratives of <clears throat> apparently I just didn't create a good enough gratitude list. I appreciate that a gratitude list is something that is a great tool for recovery and for mental health and for addictions recovery. I appreciate that. I have notebook after notebook after notebook of gratitude lists and index cards that I write, things that I'm thankful for on and grateful for. I even have an episode of Real Good Stuff with the Italian lessons. And one of the very first things I recorded about was gratitude. It's super important to me. But people who are struggling with their mental health, people that have severe trauma, people that have severe PTSD, people that have been through severely traumatic events, and some of us have been through unspeakable things, a gratitude list is not what we need always. I just told on tomorrow will be better is not what we need. And quite frankly, being told that I inspire you is also honestly not what I need. Because I know I'm inspiring. That's my mental health is not because I don't think that Scott is brilliant. I know Scott is brilliant. I've always known that Scott is brilliant. The problem is, is there's so many people out there. And I don't know if it's white supremacy and consumerism and capitalism and colonialism and all of these imperialistic ideals have us all lulled to sleep. I was, I was asleep for years. I'm still asleep about certain things. There's still things that people have to say to me where it's like, oh yeah, hey, okay, I, I get that now. I understand that now. I call it calling people into community like I did in that meeting that day. I wasn't calling them out. I was calling them into community about what they were doing. And I was letting them know honestly how it impacted me. And I was trying to do it in a nice way because, like I said, there were elected officials. There were very important people in the room that are very high up in Los Angeles County and in leadership, and I just wanted to not be, I wasn't trying to embarrass anybody. I was trying to make a point that we're all in a lot of meetings and our time has value too. We matter too. Please offer us the same respect that we give you when you are speaking, especially in this forum, especially in this type of meeting. That's how Real Good Stuff was born. Real Good Stuff was not born in an effort to challenge the stereotypes of people who don't like people who are homeless. I don't think I'm ever going to change that person's mind. And quite frankly, I don't think I'm going to change the performative allies' minds either. That's their job to change their minds. I can't change their minds. I can challenge it. I can plant seeds. I can say, hey... Why is this space we're creating not accessible to all people? Why is there only stairs to get into this space? Why is there other access issues in participating in this space? 
because there's all sorts of barriers that we create in our formations of tables or groups or Zoom calls or meetings or events where we unknowingly, unwittingly exclude people. And I say unwittingly and unknowingly because I want to believe that these allies that are doing these things don't mean to do it. I truly want to believe that. I truly want to believe that there is a difference. But I have to wonder sometimes. Go back a hundred years ago what was happening in this nation. It was ironically the same. There were so many similarities, so many similarities. We just haven't entered into a world war, but arguably there's a lot of places in the world right now where there's conflict. It's certainly on the tip of a lot of people's mouths, their tongues right now. There seems to be a lot of people bent on carrying guns and trying to hurt one another in the name of whatever they're doing. It's weird to think about world mental health in the context of all of that for me. In the context of just all of this stuff that continues to happen. These things that we we continue to do to one another... And just how we think that it's okay. Like when I walk down the street and I see these people laying on our sidewalks, these human beings laying on our sidewalks. Some of them, like their pants are down around their their knees or their ankles. completely struggling and we walk by them like they don't exist. Why? Do we not see them? Do we not think that their mental health matters because they're somehow different than we are? Do we not see ourselves in their faces? I see myself when I look at them. And maybe that's what makes me different is I see their humanity. I see that that is a person. Like this is a human being. My mind keeps going back to that woman at the bench that day. A number of weeks ago now. And I was sitting there with someone else here from the place where I'm staying. And this woman She just came up and just was literally had her hands out. Like, and I'm just so stunned. Like, I just remember, like, I can't, I couldn't figure out if she was trying to give us the chips or what she was doing. And then like, she just started crying. And I still think about her face. I still think about this beautiful black woman's face who was younger than me. And she just kept crying. 
And I literally had nothing to give that day. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. And I don't think she was looking for money. I think she was looking for connection because it was like she was trying to feed us with the bag of chips that she had so she could connect with somebody. And she was trying to talk and she couldn't talk. And even now, I mean, I'm totally crying. Like, this is so, like, such a moving moment for me because. The older gentleman that was with me, he didn't know how to react to this. And I knew what was happening because this kind of thing happens to me all the time. It always has since I was a kid. And I just sat there while she stood there in front of me and cried. And she just kept crying. And I just started crying with her. And I just held space with this woman and I don't know her name because she couldn't talk. She was trying the whole time to speak and I just kept sitting there like just holding space with her. Even now holding space with her because hopefully she's out there somewhere. Hopefully someone's helping her. Hopefully I'm in a place someday where I can help people like that that are going through it like that that we've left to die outside how embarrassed should we be screw who you're voting for honestly i could give two shits who you're voting for we're leaving people to die on our streets vote for whoever the honestly whoever the fuck you want to vote for i could give two shits who wins the election we are leaving human beings to die out on our streets we should be embarrassed as a city, a county, and a nation, at the human lives that we are allowing to deteriorate right in front of us. And I think about this this woman's face every single day. This beautiful young black woman who couldn't even speak, who was trying to share what she had with us so she could connect. And I remember when... I don't know if she had enough of the standing there like, and just wanted to continue walking or what, but she started walking away. And I remember as she started walking away, she kept like stopping and turning around and making eye contact with me. She wasn't really paying attention to the guy that I was with. She kept making eye contact with me. And she kept looking back to me and I remember she just like looked up like and she just straightened up at one point and she just said thank you this is all that she said and then she went back to how she was you know like shoulders hunched over a little bit looking you know if you've ever been depressed or sad you know what that feels like you know when you're so riddled with grief you can't hold your back upright You're so weighed down by everything. And it just breaks my heart that we leave her out there. While all of these people that you're getting paid, you're getting paid to do this work and you leave people on the streets to die. And you should be embarrassed that you're doing it. All of you. It's shameful.
it's shameful at these nonprofits. I was in an event recently, and the things that I heard and the things that I witnessed that were being said about the people that were asking for donations that were being dropped off and the ways they were talked to, it's really dis- it's really disgusting the performative allyship and the things that people do and the ways that people act and behave. And I'm not saying I'm perfect by any stretch. I'm human. I have my implicit bias. I definitely have privilege. I definitely have attitudes that have to be, you know, undone and checked and, oh my gosh, I'm human. What's so sad to me, though, is we leave people to die. On this World Mental Health Day, as people celebrate, as people are posting things on social media about NAMI and calling an 800 number, which, by the way, doesn't work. If you think calling an 800 number doesn't work, try actually being in distress and actually having a mental illness and calling that number. It doesn't work. I promise you it doesn't work. And what they're going to do is they're going to use that to take away your rights and strip away your rights. And when the cops do get called and show up at your door and handcuff you and take you away without your clothes or without your possessions or without anything and stick you in a place where they're going to be racist and rude and homophobic and obnoxious and tell you that you're entitled and Exodus recovery, I'm looking at you and all of the stuff that happened that night a month ago. And we're definitely going to be podcasting about that. But I'm trying to keep this a little bit more like about us as the folks who go through it rather than the folks who need to be called into community for their disgusting ways that they exploit people. It's it's horrid. It's absolutely horrid. So I don't really feel like celebrating World Mental Health Day today. I don't feel like there's much to celebrate. I feel like there's a lot to be sad about, a lot to be broken about, a lot to feel, a lot to feel once again like I'm excluded. The group that decided to talk about those people across the street because they wanted what was being donated. Like, why would you do that? Why would you talk about people like that in that way? Like at a nonprofit event. It's sad. It's so sad. I'm having to make a lot of choices as we come to the end of 2020. And as what my life will look like, as what will be in my life, as who will be in my life, as what I will allow and what I will not allow in my life. And what I want to be sure about is I want to be sure that the people that I have conversations with and the people that I'm aligning myself with, whether it be through activism or through music or through mental health advocacy or healthcare advocacy, which I'm super passionate about, or podcasting or teaching or meditation or gardening, because I'm super passionate community gardener if you didn't know that about me as well i love love that and all about that 
what's so important to me is aligning myself with people who are authentic. And they're doing this work and coming from a place of authenticity. A place of awareness. A place of when I call you into community, I don't get met with the fact that I'm problematic for speaking out. Because when that happens, it's not acceptable. I should be able to call you out about things without people getting upset. I should be able to call you into community about things without you getting upset and blocking me on social media. Especially when things were my idea. I'm not claiming ownership of my community projects that I come up with, but don't exclude me from them when I'm trying to actively participate. On World Mental Health Day of all times, performative allyship is a real thing. And I'm really getting sick and tired of it. I'm really getting sick and tired of allies standing in the way. It happens all over the place. People without the lived experience somehow plant themselves almost like it's like they sit in the middle of the circle and say, I'm going to tell you all about it. I don't want to deal with performative allies anymore. I want to be able to have honest conversations. I want to be able to say, hey, that's not fucking cool what you just did. And here's why. And if you can't handle that, then maybe social justice isn't your fight. Because they fight dirty. If you knew half of the things that I'm going, going through right now, that as listeners, some of you may not even, it's not just homelessness. Let me tell you that it's not all glamor. <laughs> Cause yeah, I don't know. I was just, I was so mortified by some providers attitudes and just the things people say and just the, the implicit bias. I mean, I, I outright think like implicit bias is a nice way of saying you're an asshole. Like start having some empathy Start thinking about other people. Stop thinking about stuff from your standpoint as a nonprofit or as a church or as a community leader. Start thinking of the people that you're serving. Start thinking of the people that you exist for. Because I certainly know that Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. I saw a problematic post today on Facebook about someone talking about anger, Christian, she may or may not listen to this. And if you do, hey, I commented and then deleted it because the last time I commented on one of her posts, all of her performative allies came out of the woodwork to like correct me. So whatever, I'm not going to do that again. So I deleted everything right away. But it was basically about our attitudes towards this current leader and fascism and what's happening I'm not going to be nice about it. I'm not going to be polite about it. They're trying to kill me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like they don't like they don't like LGBTQ people. What are you talking about? I'm supposed to be nice to these folks? 
They're trying to kidnap the governor of Michigan. You want you want to be nice? Like, I'm sorry, but if Jesus was like literally like physically in front of us right now, I don't think he would be nice. I don't think he would. And again, I think that's mental health shaming when people do stuff like that. It's not okay. I have every right to be upset. I have every right to be angry that I'm getting interviewed on the phone about actual like being like tracked and like what's happening to me because of speaking up about my activism. That's a little bit disturbing to like realize that like all this stuff that I knew was like coming down the pipe is actually real. And like as I'm like recounting stuff for this person on the phone like this person knew the details that i was talking about it's been kind of creepy since june speaking up about white supremacy in my hometown of brookings oregon and all across the state of oregon and just the attitudes that i've got when they're the ones being jerks and i'm just confronting them with their jerky attitude and telling them to leave people alone And they start threatening me, but it's totally okay for them to threaten people. And they don't like it when I respond, but I'm going to respond because some of those same people have been doing this kind of thing to me for years. So you can fuck off, Oregon. I'm saying that right now in this podcast, like... Y'all don't need to be spending your money. If you're listening to this podcast, you do not need to be spending your money in the state of Oregon until they make some real efforts to change their white supremacist state of being. Oregon is an anagram. I'll let you figure that out in your head. What does Oregon also spell? It's not okay. And it's a tool of white supremacy. This, This mental health shaming is a tool of white supremacy. This exploitation, this ableism, this exclusion of people, this like creating spaces and then gatekeeping people to be able to participate in these spaces, we need to stop doing it. We need to stop being Carl's and Cody's and Karen's and all of these little nicknames that we're coming up with for white people that are standing in the way of social justice. You need to get the fuck out of the way and let justice be fought for by the people who are trying to fight for it. Stop being performative allies. Stop mental health shaming me and other people. Stop gaslighting us and making us feel like we're doing something wrong when we're trying to participate with things that are actually for us. It needs to stop. I'm tired of dealing with it. It's World Mental Health Day. Start listening to people. Stop being the person in the room without the lived experience that's doing the talking. Stop being the person in the room without the lived experience that's being in charge. Stop being the person that's in the room without the lived experience that's doing all of the gaslighting. Stop being the person in the room that is telling the person that what they're going through just needs to have another gratitude list. Stop being the person in the room who is going to not listen to what we're going through because it's not your experience. Start listening. 
start including, start creating spaces where people have access. Start dismantling your ableism. Start dismantling your performative allyship. Start dismantling your white supremacist attitudes. Start dismantling your homophobia. Start dismantling your transphobia. Continue dismantling your homophobia and your transphobia. Continue dismantling the mental health stigma that pervades our language, that pervades so many things. Oh my gosh. If one more person, if I'm in a comedy show and you say something like, oh, I'm, I'll just kill myself or something. Like, as a joke, look, I'm in a comedy show and that's cool. Like, do it. If I am in a meeting or some kind of event where we're doing something with people who are homeless or we're in a nonprofit that's working with people who are homeless and we're saying you killed it, don't. Don't. It's like saying that's so gay. I don't want to hear it. It's not so gay. You're being a homophobe. Flat out. Flat out. If you're walking around still saying that's so gay, you're homophobic. Stop doing it. And if you're not going to stop doing it, then be willing to say, hey, I'm homophobic. Be willing to be open about it. If you're not going to work on it, then claim it. And same thing with being an ableist. If people keep calling us into community about our ableism and we refuse to do something about it, we are an ableist. If you have racist attitudes, if I have racist attitudes and I refuse to work on them, which as a white person, I'm continually working on that, then yes, it's an issue. All of it. We need to start thinking about the spaces that we create. And just because maybe not at this time, maybe we're not meeting and maybe when you listen to this, we'll all be back to everything how it was and well, I'll be la-di-da and everything will be great. We'll be citizens of the United States of America again and everything will be wonderful in the good old US of A. I doubt it. I really seriously doubt it. So while we're creating these Zoom spaces and other spaces, be mindful. Be mindful of the space that you create. Be mindful of the people that you ask to speak. Be mindful of the words that they use. Be mindful of the words you use. Be mindful of the fact that some of us are barely hanging on right now. I literally am walking down the street if I go outside constantly having to look over my shoulder since June. It's very disturbing. It's very disturbing to know that that's a possibility that I need to be that aware of my surroundings. It wears out your mental health. It's also wearing out my mental health to know that the place where I'm staying, I keep getting asked well, why can't you just go stay with family or friends? Why don't you just go do that? Like I've just been in this motel room that's, yeah, there's issues, but I'm not even going to go into the trash talking, how 
weird of an experience this has been. But this day is coming to an end. What if I don't have four walls to be inside? How am I going to stay protected? Like, what am I going to do? Like, that hit me today when the supervisor from a mental health clinic called me. We had a long, long conversation. And I opened up to him about stuff that was going on so he could get some context as to why I was in such a fragile state. Activism isn't easy, and people just... They want to explain it away like, oh, I've been so busy. You don't think I'm busy? You don't think I'm busy? You don't think it's hard carrying your laundry to a laundromat? You don't think it's hard waking up in a motel room where you can't sleep because for two years prior to this, I was in spaces where I couldn't sleep because I was constantly woken up by things that were going on around me because I was sleeping outside. So actually being inside in a room by myself is so foreign now. I have a hard time going to sleep at night, which has always been an issue for me, but is even more so now. And then having all these people coming out of the woodwork Oh, I haven't talked to you in so long. It's like, what are you doing here? Like, this is great, but like, why are you here? Like, friend is a word that gets tossed around really, really loosely now. And I'm having to realize, my dad used to tell me that if you have a couple of good friends in your life, to treasure them. And I've got all these people that tell me they're my friend. I'm thinking of a someone earlier in the pandemic that kept telling me that they were my friend and they were my friend and they were my friend until they turned on me because I spoke up. I don't think that we're friends. I don't know that we were ever friends because we don't really know each other, right? Like friendship is like, that's, we have this very weird. And I think that's also like needs to be addressed in this current mental health climate. Like some people are just, and it's not about being toxic. It's about like understanding that like my energy is precious And my energy isn't for a material gain. My energy is for raising the vibrations on this planet. My energy is for trying to get people inside. My energy is for challenging the narratives of the allies, of the people that want to ask me why I'm so clean when I was taking showers at their church and we're standing in the lobby of the church and I'd just taken a shower and we were showing up early to take showers before the service, but you're so clean. Uh, yeah, I showered in your shower here at the church. Like, how do you not know that you're on the church board? Like, you know, I just, I, I love people, but like there's such ignorance that we display so often and I don't understand why 
like when people say things like I had to do with the mental health nonprofit and I was confronting them for the way they were treating the guy who was black that they brought in that they kept harassing. And I finally said, hey, you know, everyone who comes in here is having a bad day. Picking at us and laughing at us is not going to calm anyone down and is not going to make anything go better for anyone. And it's very disrespectful and it's unprofessional. Now, it may not have been those exact words. All I know is the energy shifted in that room. The black guy felt heard because they were literally ganging up on him and they were blaming it on his mental health. And I was telling them this... This is not what you think it is. You all are acting like this guy's having some kind of mental health breakdown. Y'all are bullying him. And he was about my size. These guys were all bigger than us, way bigger than us. And they were mocking him and bullying him and taunting him and standing over on the other side of the room laughing at him. Of course he was agitated. And yes, they were being racist. They didn't like that I was telling them that. The doctor also didn't like that I was telling him that either. The white nurse didn't like it either and told me that we were all entitled. Italian Norm Ray got his ass ejected out of there within an hour. They sent me out back. They they sent me on my way. I was like, I want to go. And once they saw me trying to exchange information with this gentleman that was there as well, the guy who was black that was in there with us, once they saw that, oh, Mr. Clapson, you got to go. They're ready for you now. They're ready for you now. You can't, you got to go now. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now that I'm trying to get in contact with this guy, I know his name. I'll never forget his face. I see him out somewhere. I'm going to talk with him. What happened in that place? That day was not okay. But what they count on is they count on everybody that goes in there, quote unquote, not being in their right mind. So they think that they can do whatever they want. Guess what? You don't get to. You're working as a nonprofit. And this is a really big mental health nonprofit here in Los Angeles. You're working as a nonprofit and you're getting money through grants and through the public. It's not acceptable. You don't get to behave like that. The same nonprofit systematically picked off all of the LGBTQ residents in a facility that I was living in, living with them in last year systematically went after every single LGBTQ resident in that place. They started with a friend of mine and they picked at him and got him to move out within just a couple of months. He moved out. He is in a worse place than he was before and won't talk to anybody that knows him. And everybody's super worried about him. I'm super concerned about him. But they totally gaslighted him and sent him right back into his addiction. And of course, because this is what we do in our white supremacist culture, we blame him and we say, oh, well, you know, it's his fault. It's not his fault. 
He's really brown skinned and he's Mexican and he's lived a really difficult life and he's been treated really poorly because of his brown, really brown skin and being Mexican. Like people I know go, oh, that black guy. And I'm like, he's not black. He's Mexican. I'm like, oh, he's so dark. Well, he's not. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating that people don't listen. They don't hear what people say. He would literally tell people, I'm not black. And they would still tell him that he was black because his skin was so brown. They wouldn't look at the fact that his hair was completely straight. And obviously, he's Mexican and indigenous. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating that people don't listen. It's frustrating to know that someone that I care about that was really nice to me when I was on the street is out on the street somewhere and is so in his addiction and struggling and feels so alone and gaslighted and abandoned and betrayed that he doesn't want to talk to anybody. And they're blaming his mental health. Oh, it's just his mental health and it's his choices to be on the street. Well, actually, no, it's not. I was there and I saw them picking at him. I lived there too. I know they picked up people. They did it to me when it was my turn. And I saw it. I knew. I knew when the guy, the guy that they had going around as the narc for everybody who was all like high out of his mind all the time too. Oh my gosh. Like such a mess. And I knew I was told by other residents, watch out for him. When he tries to be your friend, you're on their list. He's trying to get information from for them to get you kicked out. So when he started coming up to me, I was like, oh, hey, what's up? I was like, motherfucker, you ain't going to find nothing out about me. I didn't want to be there anyway. They kept giving me really homophobic roommates. I had my life threatened in there by one guy. And was told that all sorts of horrible things by supervisors and leadership within the organization. And then the final straw was one roommate sprayed air freshener in my mouth. Guy who like didn't bathe on a regular basis or like take care of his own self was like concerned about how I smelled one morning and sprayed air freshener. Like, in my face. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, spray it on your side of the room. And it was right at the beginning of COVID. And I was like, I am not going to be stuck inside with this jerk who wants the window shut because he's got migraines because he's miserable and is going to, like, ruin my mental health. That's what we're not going to do. Like, I'll go outside and deal with this virus and who knows what will happen. It's just interesting how, like, I kept telling them that things weren't working and they kept basically just saying, oh, well, you know, you just, you need to be grateful that you've got a place to go. Really? A room with two other people that are both homophobic that are picking on me and ganging up on me again after how many times I've, and they kept giving me these homophobic roommates. It's like, Why? What's 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 the real story? What's really going on? It's World Mental Health Day in four minutes Pacific Standard Time. I'm thinking a lot about not just my mental health, but 
the mental health of so many people that I know that are being gaslighted by the system and not just here in Los Angeles, but all over the place, all over this country. It's a tool of white supremacy. It really, really is the mental health shaming and the ableism and the performative allyship. If you don't know what that is, it's basically like, when someone with lived experience comes up to you and says that you're not listening and you're not paying attention and you take over the narrative still and insist on doing that, you're being a performative ally. You're taking over. You're, you're silencing the people that these things are lit- literally meant to be for and taking them over as your own. I remember there was a woman in my hometown and we were on on healthcare advisory council and she did not like me. I thought it was just me. She apparently didn't like anyone. And I was told when I applied to be on this council by her that I must be mistaken. Now, I found out later that I was not mistaken and I was absolutely wanted until two years later, she picked at me and picked at me and picked at me until one day I lost my temper and then was asked to no longer participate on the council. But that was her goal, right? She wanted me out of the way so she could she could be the star of the show, but she didn't have lived experience. She wasn't on the Oregon Health Plan. And she was in a number of different groups around the community and doing the same thing in the community and then claiming that she's an introvert. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's doubtful performative ally. But I see that happen so much. I see that happen so much where people, people will come up with an idea. Other folks will take that idea and run with it and claim it as their own. It's happened to me before. It happened to me multiple times in Brookings where there were big things that happened and other people took credit. I mean, it was amazing. Like right before I left, there was a whole bunch of money that we raised for some stuff and someone kept taking credit. Her name was in the paper over and over. And I was like, oh my gosh, she sure is busy. Isn't she busy when I'm the one doing all the work? Mm-hmm, okay, I get it. I get it. But she needed the praise and she needed the glory. She needed the attention. I was doing it because I cared about my hometown and I cared about the fact that I wanted these people to have something that they loved. And if I could put my skills towards it, that's what my dad wanted. He asked me to do that. But I only could handle four years of it. After four years, I couldn't handle that little white supremacist little town anymore. Like it was just, it was too homophobic. It was too, ugh, it was too orange. If you get my drift. Like I just, they've got a 2020 sign for him at the entrance to the Southern entrance to the town. And I saw it and it's just, it's an eyesore. It's like, at least if you're going to do it, make it look good. No, it looks literally like someone from his university, like put it together with like scotch tape. I mean, it just, it's, it's really bad. 
And I just, I can't handle it anymore. I just, I, it was like after four years, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I'm getting to the same place with some of these, some of these situations in LA where I get so frustrated that it's like, how many times do we have to speak up before we're heard? How many times do I have to go into an event where there's not people who are homeless and I'm told to shut my mouth about it? But there's all sorts of people with privilege enjoying the bounty of whatever's at the event. Tech and homelessness event, by the way, in 2018 in Santa Monica. (laughs) I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget that night. It was October. Leave, Scott, if you're going to cause trouble. I ain't leaving and I am here to cause trouble. You better believe it. Turn the tables over in the temple, honey. That's what we're here to do. But for real though, a fellow a fellow empath and podcaster tonight. We got into a huge conversation on Instagram. And she started talking to me about how powerful I am. And she said it's intimidating to people. Your spirit shines so bright, it makes people uncomfortable. And I was stunned because the things that she was saying resonated with me on a deep, 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 deep level. She began by using the term light worker and it transitioned into the word prophet because we started talking about this concept of the future. And she literally started like telling me things that my father would tell me when I was a kid. And even before he died. Scotty, you're here to teach humanity a new way of being. You're not from this time. I didn't know entirely what he meant when I was young. I knew that I was different. I knew that there was something different about me that made me odd and made me, you know, even when I was growing up, I didn't have friends. And I just always assumed it was because I was queer. But as an adult, I don't have a lot of friends. And I assumed it was because I was an asshole, (laughs) which is half true. Depends upon what side of, you know, the day you catch me on or how you're acting. I'm just joking. I'm Italian and I'm, I'm the Scorpio rising with a stellium five Leo. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of temper. There's a lot of fire going on here. What's impactful for me is thinking about the idea, the idea of a prophet, the idea of the truth speaker, the idea of the person that like a shaman, basically like this person who is in a culture that is somehow connected to the spirit world in some way. I can't see the future. I'm not clairvoyant. But what I do know is that what we're doing isn't working and it doesn't make sense to me and it never has. What I do know is I see things in a different way and distinctly in a different way. And it's weird. It's weird for me to try and comprehend that other people don't see this. Like what other people see is I cussed my last therapist out 
And so they didn't want to work with me anymore, which is how I ended up with this, you know, new clinic and the supervisor is like, you just call and you ask for me and we're going to work on getting you, you know, back into a program or whatever. What is not in the context of the story is I tried to fire her like six different times. She kept screwing up my paperwork. She kept gaslighting me. She kept doing stupid, 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 stupid shit. And I got tired of it. I got tired of dealing with it. And she, when I would process through it and we would talk about it, she would say, well, can, can I have another chance? I know people have let you, and that's what she kept blaming it on. She kept blaming it on other people saying, I know other people have let you down. I'm only human. Give me another chance. I got tired of giving her chances. So she established a boundary and said, this is what's not going to happen again. And I said, okay, you draw that boundary. If you're not going to respect the boundaries I've set, then I'm not going to respect the boundaries you've set. And I'm going to get this relationship over. Because see, I don't need to be grateful just for any services. That's no longer acceptable. People are dying. People are dying on the street. People are dying all over the place because of poor mental health care. And I guarantee you it's not just because of COVID-19. It's because of how we treat one another. Giving each other 800 numbers and saying things like, I'm not a professional, after we've posted online, oh, check on your high-functioning friends that are struggling with their mental health check on them check on your funny friends and your brilliant friends and you know your super empathetic friends check on them because they need they need support right now so i reach out to said friend who posts this and said friend tells me that they are not a professional and they don't know how to deal with this really i'm reaching out telling you that i'm having a rough time with my mental health and i'm really struggling and i really could use someone to listen and be support and really actually be a friend right now. Not tell me that I'm embarrassing myself when I say that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to talk about you in a podcast, which I am, but I'm not talking about what, what business she owns or where it is. <laughs> Bless her heart. She is a Leo though. I will say that. And our moms know each other. I will say that too. But I wasn't embarrassing myself. I was reaching out to someone that claims to be my friend that was posting stuff about checking on high-functioning friends that struggle with their mental health. So I was reaching out because I needed support. I was met with, oh, you're so ungrateful, and I've done so many things. Really? You've done so many things? I don't even really know you that well. We knew each other when we were little, but just because I was in Brookings for a couple of years doesn't mean that we're like... You know, like my dad said, like a couple of close friends in your life and you're blessed, right? So, and I ain't blessed yet. So we're still working on a couple of those close friends. I don't, I honestly, at this, at this moment, there's a couple of people in my life that I know really love me and support me. Micah from A Million Drops. I know that she loves me and she cares about me. Tom and Linda from back in Oregon, 
and just their beautiful support of me in helping me launch this podcasting endeavor in the first place in 2015. Ironically, all three of those individuals, it's around podcasting. It's around this medium of storytelling and sharing. And I wasn't going to record tonight. But after conversations with two different empaths and realizing that I need to, I need to start telling my story. I've been pulling other people into the recorded space and I'm insisting on it, continuing to insist on it. We're working on a show actually where we'll be having conversations with people from around the world about their podcasts and why they podcast and who inspires them and how they got started and anything they want to talk about about their show. I'm super excited about it. But I wasn't pulling myself in. I wasn't pulling myself in to the conversation. So I needed to start telling my story. I needed to start talking about what was going on with me and using this platform to call folks into community on a bigger level because I know that what you may be dealing with maybe isn't homelessness. And maybe the people that you're wondering about in your community that aren't getting the support that they need, maybe the people in your community that you're wondering about that aren't getting the support that they need. Maybe it's not homelessness. Maybe it's not even mental health. Maybe it's other things, but it's all linked. And I've realized that over these last number of months that we've all been so physically distant, it's given me a lot of time to process and it's all linked. And we can call it capitalism and we can call it, imperialism and colonialism and all of these things. But ultimately it comes down to white supremacy. It comes down to this idea that the European race and their way of being and their polite way and their mannered way and their, their structure, the way they've structured this culture, this, as I was told today, civil, be civil don't take my intellectual property and we won't have anything to be questioning about civil. Don't take my intellectual property from me and then not include me. And then we won't have to have conversations about civility. Now, will we, when I've put effort into something and then you take that from me, include me in it. Yes. I give permission. I'm not holding on to my creativity, Like, oh my gosh, it's completely mine. Even my podcasting wisdom, I give it away for free, right? I'm not in this for money. But I will tell you this. Telling me to be civil, when I'm trying to figure out why I'm not being included in something that I helped design that was my idea in the first place, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable on World Mental Health Day. It's not acceptable the day before World Mental Health Day. It's not acceptable on any day. It's imposing this 
European ideal of colonial white supremacy onto other people's narratives. Don't tone police me. If I want to tell you that I want to hold you accountable for doing this, I'm going to hold you accountable. And if that means that that upsets you and we're not friends because of that, then maybe you're not an ally. I'm going to tell you you're not an ally. And I'm sorry, but you're not. And you need to do some work. The shit's got to stop. Stop exploiting people. Stop mental health shaming us. Stop telling us that we need to be civil or tone policing our behavior or saying that we're being the problem or we've got to change our attitude to participate. Who are these programs designed for? Are they designed for the shiny, happy people holding hands or are they designed for the people that you claim that they're designed for, which is the marginalized communities? Because I'm a member of multiple of those communities and I don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate watching this happen over and over and over again. Where when we speak up, we are labeled as problematic. When we speak up and we try and and counteract something, we are vilified. When we speak up, we are disinvited. When we speak up, we are told we do not matter. When we speak up, we are gaslighted into silence. Stop doing it. If you think that you're an ally and any of this stuff is at all resonating with you as being a little harsh when I said you weren't an ally, maybe you have something that you need to learn. Just like I have stuff that I need to learn, right? I'm always, always, always as someone who's super passionate about the African diaspora I'm always learning stuff where it's like, oh shit, I, that's something I didn't know. Oh, that's something I didn't know. Oh shit, there's a racist attitude that I didn't like that comes from like, you grew up in a place like Oregon and there's not black people around, right? There's a mom and a son and a daughter. And the son lived with us and everybody's attitude in the community changed when we took him in, including my brothers. The narratives and the stereotypes. And I won't even tell you the things my brother was doing. Like, it's like, you're calling him out for what? And, um, uh, excuse, excuse me. Like what? <laughs> like, I don't know. People are just, people are too much. Like, too much, too much sometimes. And I loved Jeremy. He was my heart. That dude, I've I've thought about him so many times over the years, just wondering how he is and just valuing that year of having a brother that I actually got along with. I was a senior in high school. I was, I was graduating. I was, and it was just, it was so weird because like 
we knew each other from school and he was always really cool with me too. That was what was weird is like, here was this, he was like the only black guy in school really. And there was like a couple of other people that were, you know, I don't know, but he was definitely, it was definitely like obvious. Like there was no other black people on the campus. And I remember like, well, I take that back. I think there was like my friend Stacy, I think there was like one or two other, but it was like really, it was really obvious. Brookings is really even now today is super white. I remember it really sticking out in my mind that he was so nice to me because so many people weren't so many people just, I was a gay guy in a small town and I was, you know, I came out at 15. Right. And so by the time I was in high school, you know, it was, I wasn't sexually active, but it was, I wasn't pretending to be straight. Let's put it that way. And it's interesting because he was really nice to me. Always. We always really got along. And even when my brother tried to turn me against him, I couldn't because my brother and I had had this whole history of fighting and just dissension and deceit and all of these things, all of these problems. And here was this guy who I was getting along with. Great. And I wasn't having any issues. And you're having problem. I'm not having any problems. Like, I don't, I don't have any issues. Like, I'm not having an issue with him. And I couldn't understand because I was fine. Like, he and I got along great. Like, no problems. There were issues. And I have to wonder how many of those issues came about because there were people in town that didn't like the fact that he was staying with us. And so they made a point of turning my brother against him, which is what happened. So he would get kicked out basically as he was no longer welcome in our home. Not my brother, this foster brother we had. And I was pissed. I was mad. I was so mad. But it was what it was. You know, I couldn't really stop it. And I have to say, it's been really hard to forgive my brother for that. To know that you welcome someone into your home and then you kick them out when... It's actually my brother who should have gotten his ass kicked out for his behavior, but that's a whole other podcast conversation. It's sad to me. It's sad to me how people treat one another. Even looking back on that, there were mental health things, I believe, with his mom. I didn't really know her, but I know there was a lot of, you know, just comments made by people in the community about her. And I have to wonder like how much of that was based in racism. I know a couple of women from my hometown that are a little bit younger than me and their dad is black. And even just in interacting with the sister that I still communicate with and her comments, right. And just the experiences she dated my brother in high school. Like imagine that before, before my brother had the problems with our foster brother, Jeremy, 
This has been something I've been passionate about for a long time. My mental health is something people have mocked me and made fun of me and ridiculed me about as long as they've been mocking me and ridiculing me about being queer. And I don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate being excluded from spaces that are meant to uplift our narratives as people who are marginalized. Those of us with privilege have to get out of the way so social justice can happen. Stop standing in the way. There's a concept in community organizing where people talk about like sharing the space. Have you ever heard step up or step back? when you're in a circle or you're in a share or whatever, I don't like that because it's kind of ableist. So I like the term share the air and just being aware that like those of us that are extroverted will tend to talk more and dominate the conversation. And someone who's introverted, although they may be comfortable listening, they might want to contribute at some point. But if we as extroverts are talking the whole time, they might not be able to, ever get a word in because we're too busy processing out loud because that's how we do it. And an introvert won't necessarily do that around other people. They might do it when they're alone, but they might not do it in front of others in the same way. And being mindful of that, especially in a group setting. So take that concept into your organizing. If you feel like some of the things that I've talked about have resonated with you, and maybe it's made you uncomfortable, good. Be uncomfortable. Because sleeping on the ground and having a mental health struggle and being queer and all of these things isn't comfortable. So I hope that this episode made you a little bit uncomfortable in your privilege. Because those of us with privilege, we need to be made to be a little bit more uncomfortable than we are right now. We've got it too easy. We don't realize how easy we've got it. We're very spoiled in this country that's built on the backs of people who are black and brown and Asian and indigenous. We've built it on their backs. Well, we kill the people who are LGBTQ for not fitting in. We have to stop doing it. And when we take things from people who are LGBTQ or black or brown or Asian or some kind of other ability or have a mental health struggle or are homeless or whatever it is, a woman I'm thinking of people who are low income. I'm thinking of people who are food insecure. I'm thinking of immigrants. I'm thinking of anybody who's different than the dominant culture right now. And the dominant culture is if you're white, you're in that. I'm in that. I'm in that dominant culture. So I'm trying to be aware in spaces that I go into of not taking up the most space of not being the one to gatekeep, of not being the one to say, let me be in charge. 
Let me be the one to speak the most. Let me be the one to get the attention. I'll get the attention. I don't need you to give me the spotlight. But what I do need is I need for people to be included. And I'm tired of watching folks from communities that I'm a part of be excluded. And almost every single time, it's a white ally. There's a gentleman running for city council, Albert. Hey, Albert. (laughs) CD13. I admire what he's doing. I admire that he is going so full in to serve, to serve this city, to serve people, to actually serve real Angelinos that are from here, not people that moved here from somewhere else and bought real estate or someone that's priced everybody out of their neighborhood or whatever. No, real folks. Because this is still Mexico. You can say that this is not Mexico all you want. We are living in Mexico. They moved the border. This is still this is still the nation of Mexico. It's a very different than Northern California, and you can feel the difference. This is Latin America. And they're trying to gentrify it. Los Angeles has changed in the last 10 years. It had a very Latin feel in large parts of Los Angeles. And now you go into a lot of these neighborhoods and there's all these white people. And I'm like, where did all these white people come from? Where did all the Latinos go in Silver Lake? Where did all the LGBTQ people go in Silver Lake? They're gone. It's all straight people. Echo Park. Echo Park is so white now. It's so white. Chinatown. Like, I'm just, I'm stunned. I'm so stunned at the gentrification and how it's ripping through this city. And there's no conversation about that. There's just all this, like, well, we don't know what to do and we don't know why homelessness is so bad. Uh, Maybe because the cost of living has quadrupled in the last 20 years. Have you thought about that? And maybe every neighborhood is getting these really ugly, like, dormitory-style-looking buildings, except for these glass-like skyscraper monstrosity things that are going up. But the stuff that's a couple of stories tall looks like college dorms with small windows. It almost looks like they're going to be locking people away in institutions soon. I mean, it just it's very, like, Blade Runner like bad like not even like the new blade runner like blade runner like the trequel or something like like when they remade star wars but went back and like fucked up star wars like it's like that but like the bad one that's what i feel like is happening to los angeles like what's going on like we need to acknowledge that and we need to acknowledge the fact that these people are struggling and they're going through things and we as white allies are standing in the way of social justice and we have to stop doing it. I'm going to say it again. We as white allies are standing in the way of social justice and we need to stop doing it. So stop. Okay. I'm working on it. Are you I'm calling you into community right now. I'm going to say it one more time. 
we as white allies need to stop standing in the way of social justice. Period. It's so serious right now. We're seeing it happen again. White folks dismantled reconstruction at the end of the 1800s, literally set fire to Black Wall Street in Tulsa, literally destroyed communities that had built themselves up after the Emancipation Proclamation. White people did that. We're doing it again a hundred years later. It needs to stop. Not just on World Mental Health Day, but every day. We need to stop doing it. We stood in the way of social justice a hundred years ago. And then we had to do the civil rights movement. And we're standing in the way again. And we have white supremacy trying to take over this nation again. We have to stop standing in the way of social justice. European culture does not dominate the planet. There's so many stories out there. There's so many narratives. There's so many people who need mental health support. There's so many people that need you to stop taking up so much space as the white person in the room. And it's not meant to be offensive. It's not offensive, but we take up a lot of space. We take over projects. We claim things as our own. We exclude people. We tell people that they need to behave in a different way because we can't accept or tolerate the way that they're reacting right now to our behavior of gaslighting them. We have to stop doing that. We have to stop wounding the people that we claim to be helping. As white allies, we have to stop wounding the people we claim that we're helping. As white allies, we need to stop wounding the people we claim to be helping. As white allies, we need to stop wounding the people we claim to be helping. Please think about these things. I think about them all the time. I think about that woman's face. I think about her tears. I think about the way they bounced off the bag and onto my leg and onto my shorts and how I could feel her tears. I think about her every day and I wonder if she's okay. I pray and I hope that she is. Who are you holding space for? Who are you loving? And are you wounding them with your allyship? If you are, it's time to stop. Because being an ally is a warlike word. I don't want your allyship. I want you to listen and understand. I want you to really hold space with us. And really be about it. Stop silencing us. Stop taking over our narratives. Stop exploiting us. Stop colonizing us. Stop telling us that we're problematic when we speak up. Stop silencing us when we speak up. Because we're going to keep speaking up. People speak up for a reason. 
we're gonna keep speaking up. I thank you so much for listening. If you've listened to this episode and it's felt really heavy, I encourage you to please reach out. I am a very big proponent of being supportive. And I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be hurt and to be gaslighted around mental health. I know what it's like to just be told that tomorrow will be better or that I don't have time or this is compromising a boundary or whatever it is. If someone's reaching out to you, please listen. I've lost two ex-boyfriends to suicide and another guy that I dated. It really hurts. It really hurts to know that things could have been different for them. It really hurts to know that maybe they could still be here. And what would it take to create a world where people stop taking their lives? What would it take to create a world where people stop hurting themselves and self-harming because they're feeling hopeless and unheard? What would it take for us to stop mental health shaming people? What would it take for us to start listening to people rather than giving them 800 numbers when they're in crisis? What would it take for us to start hearing people rather than telling them that we're not professionals and we're not equipped to deal with it? What would it take to listen to people in marginalized communities when they speak up about the ways they're being othered or that they're feeling silenced or unheard or dismissed? What would it take for us to be open when someone calls us out on something to say, oh my gosh, yes, I had no idea that this attitude that I've got is racist or homophobic or ableist or transphobic or sexist or whatever it is to be open to hearing that. And when someone tells us that, to not brush it off and say that it's not a big deal because it takes a lot of courage to speak up. It takes a lot of courage to speak up knowing that we're probably going to be brushed off again this time. Do we want social justice transformation or is that just something that we say because it sounds good, because it's good for donations, because white is right and polite and all right. Seriously, what are we about? So I encourage you to reach out. If it's not to me, which you can find me on social media. You can reach out through the website at realgoodstuff.org. You can reach out to someone that you know that you feel comfortable with, but I am always available and I am open to having conversations. I may not be having the best mental health day, but that doesn't mean that I won't converse. But please reach out. Please reach out. It's really, it hurts my heart to know that I've lost people that could still be here. And if I could go back and show some more care to any of them, I would do it in an instant if it meant dropping everything to go back and bring any of the three of them back. Of the three of them, Eric is the one that I think about the most. He's the one that I was closest to and we were friends for a number of years. And we dated for a period, but I just remember all of it. And when he told me that he was going to stop taking his HIV medicine and go to live on the street, he just wanted to go home. 
And that's all he would say. And he just looked so peaceful. And you can't you can't make somebody eat. And in the neighborhood that we were living in and, and at that time, you know, I mean, even now, I don't think you really could if someone was on the street and they're on the street and they're just not eating and they're not taking their meds. They're not. But this is down, down near Vermont and Beverly. And if you know anything about that little, like, dip right down in there by where I used to live behind Vermont and Beverly down there by the public storage building. That area is kind of rough. There's a lot of folks surviving homelessness down there. And that was the area that Eric and I lived in. It really hurts to know that he's not here. It really hurts to know that I would try to take him blankets to keep him warm. And I would try and stay out there and spend time with him. And he didn't even want that. He just wanted to die. Beautiful, beautiful black man. Beautiful, beautiful heart. So vibrant. I loved him so much. I still do. I miss you, Eric. I miss you a lot. Dear God, right now, wherever Eric is, I just pray brilliant light would surround his spirit and his energy right now. I pray that he found love. And I pray that he found the peace that he so desperately wanted. I pray that he found relief from this white supremacist culture and this homophobic culture that wore him out so drastically. I pray that you would just grant his soul rest. I pray that it's already been at rest. He's such a beautiful person. Thank you for blessing us with the time that he was here. And for all of those people that are struggling, if they're listening or they're thinking about someone that they know or they're thinking about someone that they've lost or they're thinking about someone that they haven't been in contact with for a really long time, just encourage us all. Just like that that night when the nurse at the hospital said, Use your coping skills, all petty and shallow. And I thought, what are my coping skills? I'm here basically naked. What are my coping skills? My coping skills, meditation, song, and prayer. That's my coping skills. And so that's what I did. And that's what I continue to do. I pray for Eric and for that woman at the bench a month ago all of the faces that I see all of the time for all of the people that we leave on these streets for all of the angels that we will be held accountable because we walked by them all and we ignored them. I pray that you would awaken us on this world mental health day in 2020 on October 10th. Awaken us, shake us awake, remind us, to get out of the way and allow social justice transformation to happen. I don't want to lose anyone else. It's so hard. I pray that you would comfort the people who have lost folks, who have lost folks recently. I'm thinking of so many people. I'm thinking of the over 960 people that have died on our streets in Los Angeles in the last year. 
of 2020 and the year's not even over. I'm thinking of Melly. I'm thinking of the over 600 people that were shot by law enforcement since 2012 that have not found justice. I'm thinking of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people living on our streets in Los Angeles, struggling for their next breath in the middle of a pandemic. We're failing them. We're failing their mental health. We're failing ourselves because none of us are well until all of us are well. None of us are well until all of us are well. None of us are well until all of us are well. None of us are well until all of us are well. If you feel like you're going through a hard time, please keep reaching out. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult to continue reaching out and to continue trying. I've been doing it. And it's difficult when you meet with all of these. Just Some people just don't get it. You can reach out to me. I'll try and be a good listener. And if I'm not, cuss me out and tell me and maybe I'll learn. I'm willing to do that with you if that's what you need. I hope you all going into the rest of 2020 and into the coming years find new ways to embrace social justice, to embrace transformation, to embrace justice, to embrace a transformation in our society of the way that we treat people the people who are marginalized in our communities, the people who we leave outside, the people who we other. Let's make a commitment to stop standing in the way of social justice. I hope you all had a peaceful World Mental Health Day, and I hope you continue to find peace in the midst of a chaotic world. I'm Scott Clapson. Thank you for listening to Real Good Stuff. Have a great day. Bye-bye. It's still out of mind.